Welcome to the Virtually Varsity Podcast, the only MCLA podcast with no coast bias. Here's your hosts, Jordan Harris and Taylor Red. Welcome to week three of the Virtually Varsity Podcast. Uh, I'm back. I'm Jordan Harris. And this week we have Taylor Red back with us uh, after a week of hiatus. Taylor, welcome back. Thank you. I, I couldn't uh, stand for you uh, one week by yourself, so I want to make sure you didn't get any fa- false information out there to everybody. It wasn't great, but we got it done. Uh, but we're glad to have you back, Taylor. Um, recapping this past week, and as we look at it, I got a chance to watch more games than I normally do this past week for whatever reason, whether that's good streams or uh, more free time than you'd expect for the weekend. Um, I, I know you got to watch a few of the games as well, but there were some really impactful games that I think will have an impact on the tournament selection committee um, that we haven't seen so many of them in the same weekend for a few weekends. So uh, real quick, maybe we can recap the weekend real quick, talk about a few of these big games and how we see the impact of them uh, moving forward. Uh, First one, the big one, I think yesterday, the SELC or the SLC game of the week, Grand Canyon beats Concordia. Uh, Taylor, what are your thoughts on that game? Yeah, I mean, this was a shocker for me, to be honest. I I saw... Uh, GCU played BYU, and I saw um, one of their other games earlier in the year. I can't remember who they played, but uh, I, I thought you know GCU is a good team. Uh, I think they have a great program, well coached. But I, I thought this was a little bit of a down year for them. Um, so yeah, I mean I think it was it was, uh, it was a little bit of a surprise to see that, but not not totally shocking. Um, you know I think GCU always uh, is a good good program, so not totally shocking. But but uh, yeah, that was a surprise for me. Well, I said this. I said this on Twitter that I thought that this was kind of Grand Canyon fighting for their at-large life. Uh, without the win against Concordia, I think at that point they are AQ or bust. And the AQ in the SLC is probably uh, this year is going to be one of the top two hardest, probably the hardest AQ to get. Uh, maybe comparable with the SELC, but getting that win kind of keeps them in that at-large t- territory discussion. They probably need at least one more big win, whether that's Arizona State uh, or a win in the SC and the SLC tournament against somebody big. But but I think without that win, I think they're out of that discussion at all. So definitely a big win for Grand Canyon. Uh, they played their best lacrosse, so that was a, a good sign for them. Yeah, definitely. And I think uh, you know the at large isn't out of the picture. You know they haven't played Arizona State yet. Uh, they haven't played Chapman. So I think they could you know definitely run the table. I just um, to me it felt like they were a tier below uh, those other teams. So that was I think like you said it was going to be a hard a hard win to get the uh, AQ there. Um, so definitely fighting for their lives a little bit. Do you think it says more about Concordia or Grand Canyon? Ooh, man, that's a great question. Um, I think it says a little bit more about Concordia. Um, I still have a little bit of question marks. I know people are going to be upset about that. Uh, I still think they're, you know, I was wrong at the beginning of the year. I had them lower. They're better than I thought they were originally. I still don't know if they're a top uh, four team. But um, I think to me it says a little bit more about Concordia. I think this might have been a little bit of a matchup game too. Uh, if you look at uh, Grand Canyon's scoring breakdown of, of who's scoring their goals, uh, they get a, a almost two thirds of their points come from attackmen. So if you come against a team that's a little bit weaker at close, uh, 
this is going to be Grand Canyon's a team that really takes advantage of that because they're so heavily weighted in their their goals by their attackmen, their points from their attackmen that I think they took advantage of the Concordia defense. Whereas other matchups, they may have been a little bit more balanced. Um, but either way, I think I think it says to me it says more about uh, Grand Canyon. I think they came out they they're clearly still a good team, uh, but they still clearly have an uphill uh, an uphill climb to get in the tournament as an AL. I think we we talked about this almost every week it seems like. But when you're talking selection committee criteria, one of them is going to be the amount of travel that they have, and then it's going to be you know big significant wins, and they've got a chance to get maybe two more depending on if Arizona can stay uh, ranked after they've lost to BYU. But Grand Canyon's got to beat Arizona. They got to beat Arizona State and they probably have to get at least one game in the SLC tournament to be in that at large discussion especially since they have the the negative uh mark against their team for not traveling this year so that was a, a big win for Grand Canyon I think there's no denying that no matter how you feel a big one for him uh the second game I think that raised some eyebrows this week was a midweek game that kind of happened in the middle of the workday um and so I don't think it got as many eyeballs as some as the some of the weekend games but it was Liberty beating Michigan State by nine goals yeah, and that was one that I, uh, speaking of midday, mid-workday uh, game, I, I actually forgot, totally forgot about it uh, until I think I saw on Twitter the, the final score. And um, yeah, that was another shocker. Not so much that Liberty won, but the fashion, uh, you know, the way they did it. Uh, I think beating a, a Michigan State team that's reeling a little bit, but is still, you know, very talented um, was, was surprising uh, and, and well done to Liberty. Well, we can talk more about where Liberty shakes out in the polls in a minute. Uh, but the thing I thought was interesting uh, after I went and looked at this a little bit closer, looking at Liberty's team, is how balanced their scoring has been. They have yeah. the transfer from UMBC, CJ Nichols, who's leading the team with like 4.6 points per game, which is incredibly good. But you have a whole slew of guys that are averaging over two points a game, almost eight different players um, that are averaging eight points a game. And that kind of balance makes you like, it doesn't matter who you play when you're scheming and you've got to stop eight different guys who can go off for multiple points per game. makes a team really tough to uh, plan for and defend. And I think that Liberty is, is a uh, matchup nightmare for a lot of teams because they have so much depth. It's rare to see a team that can match that kind of depth with their defensive talent. How many teams have six guys that they're rolling out that are comfortable to cover? Or a superstar on the other side um so yeah impressive liberty impressive yeah. win and, and not just like matching up with them like defensively but i think it just takes a ton of pressure off you know everyone on the field when they know like they don't have to be the guy if they're having a little bit of an off day you know you have five six other guys who can step up and, and contribute i think that just t- like makes everyone kind of calm down a little bit and it can really make your offense uh hum a little you know quite a bit better than if you have one guy that everything has to go through yeah, and maybe not to the same degree, but it reminds me a little bit of the old Michigan teams where Trevor Yealy was on them. Uh, yeah. you, you kind of always get this people being like, well, why don't you just lock off Trevor Yealy? And then you do it for 10 minutes, and then all of a sudden everybody else is scoring goals at will, and you realize, like, okay, well, that's not going to work either. That it, It's really like if Trevor Yealy had been the only guy, locking him off might have worked, but Michigan was so diverse with talent that even if you locked him off, they were going to find somebody else to score. Kind of reminds me a little bit of what Liberty's putting together here, which is a good thing for tournament run. Depth is, is awesome in tournaments. You might have a guy, you, you you don't want your hopes to ride on one guy having a good day at the tournament uh, because inevitably somebody that you've counted on all year is going to have an off day or a team's going to have a really good plan to stop them. Uh, so I think that kind of depth is, is super important. Yeah, last year at BYU, you know, when I was coaching the offense, we had seven guys, I think over over two points per game. And just having that sort of stability and, and diversity uh, across all the, the, you know, the playmakers on offense uh, just gives you a ton of, of flexibility and freedom to kind of, you know, scheme things up to whoever has the best matchup. 
And I think uh, Liberty has seven or eight guys over two points. And uh, I think it's like five guys over three. So, I mean, that's just tremendous uh, diversity. I think, uh, you know, it will, it will be interesting to see how that continues, you know, as they get into a little bit of their uh, more of the meat of their schedule. But I mean, even against it doesn't matter who you're who you're playing. If you have that kind of diversity, it's it's tremendous. Yeah, and we'll talk more about where Liberty should shake out in the polls, but uh, obviously a big win and kind of one of those scores that makes your eyes pop. Reminds me a little bit of when Arizona State beat uh, Colorado earlier in the year. You're kind of like, whoa, didn't expect that score. Maybe maybe you expected the win, but not the score. So uh, pretty yeah. big win for Liberty. Uh, next one, we can go quickly through this one. This was Chapman over Cal Poly. Maybe a little bit expected. Chapman uh, playing their first game on the road. Started off sluggish. Uh, Cal Poly had the lead into the second half, and then they come on strong in the, the second half, especially the fourth quarter Chapman ends up pulling out the win over Cal Poly adds another good ranked win to their resume yeah and I think the only thing I'll say about that game is um, I think some of the experience of being on a a very good Chapman program I think Cal Poly is a great program but uh, not quite as sort of the experience that that Chapman has and I think sometimes late in the game that kind of uh, manifests itself you know they go on this run and and you kind of just feel that eventually they're going to take over and, and sure enough they did so yeah, interestingly enough, I was looking at some of the stats uh, this weekend of teams. I built a little app that uh, in Google Sheets to pull and look at uh, points scored by class per team. So how many points are they getting from seniors, sophomores, juniors? Uh, and I was just flipping through some of the top teams. And uh, Chapman is actually being significantly led by sophomores. So uh, not a they have almost no freshman contribution. Right now they have had one point from a freshman, but they've had 78 points coming from sophomores, 60 from juniors, and 11 from seniors. So if you're a Chapman fan, that bodes well in the fact that, like, yes, they are being led by people who aren't freshmen, but it's not like this is a super senior heavy team. This is a team where uh, they're getting a lot of contribution from young guys. And I think you're seeing the young guys develop over the course of the season where they lost the, the early game to Cal, the early game to GT. And now they're playing better and they're playing bigger in the, the biggest moments. A lot of that, I think, is probably those sophomores developing as they're getting more playing time than they probably ever had uh, at this level. Yeah, and I think you know last year Coach Hartley mentioned something, that, uh, something along those lines at Nationals uh, saying that they were extremely young. You know, they had the the All American uh, uh, attackman last year who graduated. I think everyone sort of thought, you know, Dylan, maybe Gardner. Dylan Gardner. Yeah, Dylan Gardner's loss was, was going to hurt a lot. And I think he mentioned to someone somewhere that, hey, we're super young. And this actually was just a great opportunity for those, you know, for those freshmen who are now sophomores uh, to kind of get some experience and lead out. And I think you're seeing that. So hats off to Chapman, I think, uh, to find a way to win at the end. <clears throat> yeah, it's a good win. Good win. Now, there's a, there's a little bit of a, uh, um, a a trip on well, not a little bit but there was a trip for South Carolina at the end of the week uh, where they were completing a super long road trip in California they had beat UCSB in the middle of the week and then they had uh, le- like 20 hours later they played BYU the last game of their trip um, and kind of one of those games where you're you're looking at it like oh this is the the classic quote unquote trap game like South Carolina at the end of a week and a half long trip uh in in uh in California playing a BYU team who's probably uh better than their record at this point it's always tough to say that but they're maybe better than their record it looked like a game that South Carolina could have easily lost uh and they come out and not only do they win but they hold BYU to three goals which is their lowest goal total ever BYU's never scored less than three and the last time they scored three was in 2006 Six, uh, a, against Colorado in a game that you and I were familiar with, uh, which I do still have some nightmares about. 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, I remember, you know, we, we were playing on the defensive end, uh, and I just remember our offense that game uh, in 2006 where it just felt like nothing could go right. It uh, doesn't matter how much we give them the ball, the offense just could not score. And, and uh, yeah, I mean, to take a beating like that when you only score three goals, is it's it's – it's not fun. Uh, I can, yeah, it, it's it's tough, uh, tough pill to swallow. But I think it's a great job by South Carolina. Uh, I think, um, you know, I, the way UCSB held them, uh, you know, pretty close. I think eight six was the final. Um, I thought, you know, maybe South Carolina was down a little bit, uh, but they came out and they took care of business against uh, a BYU team that um, is is very scrappy. And and so I, I think, uh, you know, got to hand it to South Carolina, but. Um, yeah, I thought that game might have been closer with the way the game the night before went. I think two things from that game, I, and again, I only got to see about the last 30 minutes of it when the BYU stream popped on, uh, but I think what I saw from South Carolina was a defense that was doing a really good job of knowing which shots they wanted to give up because they had faith in their goaltender that could make the save. So he ended up with 19 saves against BYU, who's not a bad shooting team, but I think their defense was doing a good job of, of conceding shots where they knew their goalie had it. And so that uh, led to a really great combination of uh, a lot of saves for them and no goals, which is three goals. It doesn't matter who you play. You could be playing the worst team in the MCLA. Three goals is a good defensive day. Uh, we've had we've coached in those games where it's, you get three, it doesn't matter who you're playing. It's a great feeling. So huge win for South Carolina. BYU kind of had their backs against the wall after that. Uh, they went to Arizona, or they went to Nevada, I guess, into Las Vegas to play a neutral site game against Arizona a few days later. An Arizona Arizona team that had climbed back into the rankings after beating Michigan State uh, on the road. And they had kind of a what we maybe looked at as a must-win game for an at-large. Uh, and BYU pulls it off with two goals in the last 30 seconds. Yeah, I mean, I, I as a BYU guy, uh, alumni, I was super just proud of the, uh, the sort of the grit and the determination. I think it's easy when you get down uh, in the last minute or so to just be like, all right, well, that's it. Um, and, you know, just, so to have some fight at the end was, was impressive. Uh, I think one of the things for me that was a kind of uh, same as South Carolina, they, Arizona did a really good job of picking their, uh, their shoot, the shooters they wanted to shoot and, and, you know, the shots they wanted to give up. I think their goalie had another 20-plus uh, save game, which is uh, tremendous. I think he had uh, – I don't know how many he had. What was it the week before? 30? Yeah, 30 um, saves. So, I mean, that is that has put together, you know, a couple of – outstanding performances against some some very good teams uh so i think that's credit to the goalie obviously uh wyatt uh, hill's you know fantastic job uh, some of his saves were phenomenal but also just the defense knowing what they wanted to give up uh where they wanted to give them up against who uh just a great job arizona um so yeah i got to watch a lot of that game and and uh it was fun to see it and and, and uh it, it, there's times where i thought arizona was going to run away from it run away with it and, and time BYU was going to run away with it. Uh, and it came down to just the last couple of seconds. So, so great game. Yeah. I think one of the things for me, I, if I were to credit a single unit for the win, it'd be the BYU ride. Um, their offense was having a little bit of a rough time in the third and fourth quarter of finding the net consistently on their possessions. But what they were able to do was consistently get the ball back after turnovers. Uh, and that led to not only a couple unsettled goals, but these extra possessions were, I mean, I mean, they, they needed every single one to be able to pull out that win. Uh, and so that was huge. And then obviously the face-off play from uh, face-off specialist in all American last year, Tyler Clancy, 
efficiency for BYU. He ends up winning that faceoff with 15 seconds going down, creating the offense uh, to to give him the win uh, in a game that they almost had to have. The RMLC doesn't have an AQ this year, so if you're BYU, you can't sit back and bank on, okay, well, no matter what happens, we can always just win our conference and be in. Maybe in reality that would be the case, but in 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 – when you're starting to look at things, if they didn't get that win yesterday and they did, and then they have a Cal Poly and a Colorado, if you don't get any of those, things start to look a little bit tough on the selection committee, even if you win the RMLC championship. So I still think BYU needs to dig themselves out of a hole and they've got some tough games coming up, but they did exactly what they needed to do um, on Saturday to bounce back from that South Carolina loss and keep themselves in the conversation. So gritty win for BYU. Uh, the other games, uh, we got a chance to watch Virginia Tech on a couple of really great streams, by the way. So thank you for everybody, especially NorCal Sports TV and everybody that put those on. We got a chance to see Virginia Tech play three times this week, uh, and they beat Stanford, <clears throat> lose to Cal Poly, and lose to Cal. Yeah, and uh, I mean, I think for me, uh, this I think says the most about Stanford. Uh, I think uh, they were ranked pretty high, but I was still a little unsure about where they were at. Uh, I think they made some really great strides from where they were at last year, but I still had some question marks. I just didn't know if they could really turn uh, the page that much, you know, in, in one off season. Um, so I think they're they're moving in the right direction, but I think, uh, you know, Virginia Tech beating them pretty soundly uh, and then losing to Cal Poly and Cal kind of puts Stanford's season a little bit in perspective. Um, I, I thought Virginia Tech, like, I think they have tremendous players uh, at every, you know, every position. Um, it, they, it looked like there were times where they got a little, um, frantic, uh, but when they play, you know, under control, I thought, I thought they were, uh, easily a top 10 team. So, uh, I, I really liked a lot of stuff I saw from Virginia tech. Um, I really liked, uh, I think they have a lot of athletes. And so I thought they pressured out a little bit more, uh, in the Cal Poly. I think we talked about that on Twitter a little bit, um, and I, I feel like they're stronger and better when they get a little bit more aggressive on the defensive side. Um, but I, I think, you know, two, two close losses to, to top 10 teams, uh, I don't think kills Virginia Tech, but certainly kind of starts slotting a lot of the teams and giving us a better idea of, of how to match uh, certainly the cross-country uh, um, kind of teams where we see pockets of different teams kind of sorting themselves out but trying to figure out out of the SLC compared to the SCLC. Yeah, I thought Virginia Tech, for me, was more impressive than I thought they would be, which is weird because they went one and two, but watching those games, uh, you know, the game against Cal, there were some goals that were like, holy crap. Just incredibly impressive goals that showed off a lot of the individual talent that they have. Uh, And it just seemed like they couldn't get over the hump against Cal to slow down their, their offense enough to stop them. And, and credit to Cal, they have a really great offense in the Cal poly game though. I mean, obviously it's tough to, uh, it's tough to, to to count stats when you're just watching a game. But if I had guessed what they cleared, what percentage Virginia Tech had oh, cleared, yeah. it, it felt like, like 60%. Yeah, yeah like 60% being generous. Like, yeah. it was crazy. So not only, like, was Virginia Tech, like, they hung around the whole game. They lost it overtime, and they gave the ball back what felt like almost every other time they tried to clear it. So to me, that said a lot about Virginia Tech's ability to play settled six-on-six defense. Like, they've got a good six-on-six defense because they saw almost double the possessions that they probably should have. Um, and if you're Virginia Tech, you go home and say, okay, look, we were right there with these teams that are obviously in the top 10. We got to fix clearing, and that changes a lot for us. So that was yeah. a – like watching the game was just like pulling your hair out, like, oh, my gosh, if they could clear this ball, it would be totally 
Yeah, and I think that's what I mean when I said earlier they're a little frantic. Um, that that wasn't really a, a shot at Virginia Tech. It's more to say like you know you fix a couple things, you calm down the clearing and and clear a little bit uh, higher percentage. You know even seventy five eighty. I think they uh, they have the talent to walk away from uh, Cal Poly with you know a three or four goal uh, win. Uh, and then certainly when they play Cal, that's it's you know Cal's a very very good team, and so maybe it's not quite as easy, but I think they uh, they stay with them a little bit more uh, if they just clean up the little things. Um, but I, I like you said, I think they're talented, very talented. Some of those goals were were very impressive, which I think credits uh, a lot to Cal Poly's defense as well. Cal Poly held them to nine; they held them off for I think three possessions within the two overtimes they played. So a really nice job by Cal Poly's defense of uh, getting that win for them. So two other scores really quick that I think were notable. <clears throat> The first one was Georgia Tech just absolutely destroying Buffalo. So Buffalo is one of those teams we didn't really know about. Georgia Tech kind of told us everything we need to know. They just destroyed them today. So that will uh, help clarify that a little bit. And Colorado State comes back in the last second to uh, beat Northeastern. So they're on a swing up through up through New Hampshire and Connecticut area. Um and that was a big win. That was a big win for Colorado State. They needed that one. They were down pretty big, and they come back and they score in the last five seconds of the game to get the win. So those were both uh, pretty big games that I think could potentially have some impact down the road. Maybe not a ton of impact right now, but at least told us a little bit about both the teams. So Yeah, I think the biggest thing it gives is an idea of some of these teams that we don't, we're not really sure about, uh, the Buffalo and Northeastern um, uh, you know, yeah, Western Michigan lost to determined. Davenport this week. And and so some of these teams that were like, well, <clears throat> they're hanging around the top 25. We don't really know what to do with them yet. They kind of sorted themselves sorted themselves out a little bit this week. Yeah. So, Taylor, uh, from you, so with all these things this past week of lacrosse, what did you learn? Uh, I think the biggest thing is uh, it's any given day uh, or, or any given team. Uh, I think the GCU-Concordia game, uh, you know, some of these other ones, we saw Chapman playing close to Cal Poly. Uh, I think it's we're getting – further and further away from a league where, you know, the top five teams win every game, every time. And you're starting to see that, you know, there's going to be upsets and there's going to be scores and and matchups that just kind of happen because teams uh, match up well against one another or don't match up well against one another. And so it's kind of fun for the league, but that's the biggest thing I saw is I've just seen more and more sort of upsets and surprises because I think it's the matchups and just any given, any given day. So it's kind of fun. Yeah, I think for me, what I what I have uh, noticed this week, or what what stood out to me, and it's been something that's kind of been standing out for me at almost all levels of college lacrosse this year, is teams that can't clear can't win. Uh, we saw so much just bad clearing this weekend from a lot of different teams, um, and it really stood out to me as I started to look for it, how many failed clears there were from the games that we were watching. And, and you know, if you think back, it's probably not a big surprise. The teams in the MCLA are probably prone to have clearing issues more so than, than teams that are division one. Usually teams don't have a full complement of six guys with great stick skills that are on defense. And there's always the tendency to say, okay, we got this kid who can't pass and catch boom. He's our D mid. Well, your D mids are going to be handling the ball to get that ball cleared. And so maybe you've got some of these guys that are lesser talented playing it, but the clearing was so bad this past week that I wanted to talk to you about what do you think it is that, uh, that has caused the clearing to be such an issue this year, or maybe it's been an issue for a while. And, and now we're just starting to notice and, and specifically, what do you think we should do about it? So we'll start with what do you think is causing the issue? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is probably the rule changes. Um, and, and even though – so the rule changes being you have 20 seconds to get it over the midfield, and then once you cut, touch it over the midfield, uh, or as soon as that 20 seconds is over, you can't go back, uh, You know, we, which is a switch from before 30 seconds to get it in the box 
Um, and so, you know, obviously you cut down the time. So that's, it, it makes you a little bit more frantic. Um, but you also, I think the timing isn't set in guys' heads as well. So, so you know, before you had 30 seconds, you kind of knew um, and you were very comfortable in that back line, kind of knowing I got time, I can move the ball back and forth. And now I think there's a little bit more, um, uh, you know, people are a little bit more uncomfortable and aren't quite sure exactly how long 20 seconds is. Um, you know, they're not used to that, that timer yet. And so you're seeing a lot of that where they're trying to figure that, uh, figure that out. Um, yeah, I'd agree. I'd agree 100% that I think that that is the issue of why clearing is. You can see it in the player's eyes that they're just like, man, that shot clock hits and it's like, we got to go. We played a couple scrimmages uh, using the new shot clock early this year against BYU and against UVU. And when I walked away from it, um, and granted, like when we say we, like we're getting old, we were not great. So don't, it wasn't like we took them to the wire or anything, but we did play with the shot clock rules. Um, and I, uh, we had a couple, I think we had three or four violations in each game of the 20 seconds. And I remember walking away and being like, it's insane how embedded that 30 seconds got in my mind. Uh, yeah. where it's like, because we had so many clears where it's like, oh, let's just be patient. And then in the last five seconds, we'll get it into the box. Cause once we get across midline, we only need a few seconds to get from the midline into the box because at that point, we've found the space that we need but when you change that clock and now it's like it's 20 seconds it really is a very different feeling and it does make you feel a little bit more frantic so we saw a lot of teams that were just kind of throwing the ball over the midline when team when time got low or they just did their their timing isn't quite there and because it's not there maybe early in the season then you start forcing it a little bit but ultimately i mean cal poly didn't run a special ride to have such a great riding day they were running a standard 3-3 zone ride it was just that virginia tech was taking that ball and hoofing it right into the ride uh, every single time they got the ball. And I do think that the, the reason that's happening is because we, we are not familiar with the clock. The clock's a little bit different in our heads and we just haven't learned how much time we have uh, to, to get it across. Or it's just teams are doing a good job of trying to make you take a long time on your defensive end, knowing that at the end of the day, uh, it, that's where the pressure is going to be in the ride now. It used to be when you'd run a really great ride, you might pressure them between midfield and your box. You could kind of trap them there. Now, if you're a coach, like why would you not come out and try and trap them on their own side of the field? Because that clock starts quick. Yeah. And I think, you know, kind of going along those lines, I think the other things that you're saying, the reasons, uh, you know, a couple more reasons is, I think one, there's there's this emphasis and this focus of getting the ball to the offense quick so that you can get the full 80 as opposed to clearing for 20 and then getting 60 to, to run your offense. And so I I don't know if this is the case in the Virginia Tech game. I, I didn't really see this as much, but I do think there's been games I've been watching where, where, you know, where people are looking for early outlets and taking a little bit more risk on those those um, clears. Uh, so I think that, that plays into it a little bit. Um, and then I think the other side, just the writing side, uh, you know, I think there are teams, um, you know, certainly I was I was coaching in the fall with the new changes and, and we, you know, very deliberately tried to trap people around midfield to try to get those over and back calls and uh, to try to get them, you know, near that 20 second count. Um, and so I think there, you know, some teams are running some some more strategic things around midfield and, and trying to like trap and make it difficult um, with the right. And, and I don't know if, you know, everyone has figured out exactly what everyone's trying to do and some of the nuances there so um yeah like i said i think i chalk up most chalk most of the of the failed clears to the um to the changes in the rules and the changes in the strategies because of the rules uh but the final thing is you know i i I, it does feel like there's this um kind of hoof it mindset that i've seen a lot of teams kind of you know use is give it to a shorty or, or even the pole and just hope the pole can 
carried over. And once he gets over across midfield, then the pressure will die down and we'll just move it. And uh, I think uh, that's not happening. Um, or, you know, that's not that that pressure staying on him and they're turning the ball over. Yeah. And I think as a coach, if you're looking at this from a coaching mindset, uh, what are the things that you do to adjust to, to knowing that this is the issue? What are the things that you do this year to try and adjust to it? Yeah. I mean, I, I doubled down on the ride. Uh, I think, you know, like you said, teams that can't clear, can't win. Uh, I doubled down on the ride. Uh, I think the way the rules are now, there's some really, really interesting ways to do some 10 mans. And like I said, trap people around midfield, uh, get creative uh, and switch off, switch up where you're pressuring the ball. Um, but I think, you know, you do double down, I think on that ride, that's the biggest thing. Um, so yeah, that's, yeah, that's yeah. what I do. I, I- I, I look at division one, even 10 man rides are starting to work in ways that they didn't work, you know, 10 years ago. Like there, there are a lot of successful rides at the D one where 10 years ago, you're talking about how there's net, like you're clearing it hundred percent almost every time, but teams are starting to figure out that there's a lot of value in riding and riding hard at every level. And if you have that opportunity at the D one level where almost every pole can handle the ball and all the D the short stick D middies were typically the best offensive player on their team before they got to, to wherever they're playing. Well, if that opportunity exists there. Then it exists at that level at that same level, if not more at the MCLA. And I think that's what Michigan had figured out when they were in their period of dominance is like, look, if there's one thing that we can hang our hat on and really just destroy teams, it's the ride. Cause it's going to, it's going to put their weakest players with the ball in their hand and make them make the toughest decisions. Uh, and you know, I lived through that as a coach. So I have PTSD of trying to get our guys to clear against Michigan. Uh, but there seriously is an opportunity for teams that can embrace how important a ride is to get out there and really get after it. Cause these teams are struggling to clear against three, three drop rides uh if you can put pressure on them and make it even harder but you have to be all in you can't be a part-time 10-man ride team uh, so I would take away that same issue. The other thing I would do is I would, uh, you know, and I'm a believer of this for a lot of different reasons, but if I were a coach in the MCLA, uh, as I have been before, one of the things I do is I look for my best offensive players. And those are the guys I'm auditioning for my D mids. I'm not looking for the guys that are the leftovers to play my defensive midi spot. I want guys that are not only going to be able to be athletic enough to play defense, which can be taught. You can teach almost anybody to play defense, but I want guys that can get the ball in transition, make great decisions and spark my offense from transition. You know, we look at some of the best players we ever had at BYU, Elliot Groh, you know, the all-time MCLA assist leader, 3X All-American, one of the best players in the history of of our team. Uh, He started out D-mid. The first thing Jason Lamb did when he got there is like, great, you can help us out at D-mid. And Elliot was probably one of the best D-mids in the country before he got moved to offensive side of the ball. And it made a big difference for that team that we had. And I think we've seen that success with other people. Take some of your best players and let them play D-midi. If you don't have great D-midis, don't force it. Make your offensive middies play. You know, get them in shape, let them run two ways. But you got to have guys with good stick skills on that side of the ball to clear. So, Yeah, yeah. The last thing I'll say about the 10-man before we switch gears is you know, I think there's this tendency to feel like you have to be causing turnovers. And one of the things that is especially with the shot clock is if you can just eat up, you know, 15, 20, even 25 seconds for them to try to get the ball in the box and then try to sub. Now all of a sudden you only have to pay, play defense for 40 seconds. Um, and it makes it, it puts a ton of pressure on the offense to like, you know, sub and just, you know, f- try to force shots. Uh, so I think there's this misconception that, you know, 10 mans have to, you know, take the ball away, but you know, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of opportunities there. I think if you, if you run it right. Yeah. And I know, I know two teams that have pretty good rides, Cal and Liberty, and we'll be talking about them in just a second. So, uh, they have both, they have both figured out some of this, uh, stuff that we're talking about here and, and it can make a big difference. So, uh, let's, uh, 
let's go on uh, and talk about a few teams. I don't want to go through one through 25 of how we rank them. I'd like to uh, talk about a couple specific teams on where you think they fall in the poll. Uh, the first one, this is pretty easy because I think we know that the these three teams should be in the, the top three spots, uh, but which order do you have them in? And so it's Cal, Liberty, GT. What order do you have those three teams in? Yeah, for me, I'm going to go Liberty, Cal, uh, Georgia Tech. Um, yeah, that, that's my, my top three. Okay, and I'm happy to jump in here and tell you that I think you're wrong. Um, <laughs> So, so for me, I look at it, it's got to be Cal first. If you look at the games that they've won, they beat number five Chapman, who has continued to get better every game. They beat Arizona State by three. Arizona State, again, getting better. They're, they've been beating everybody. They've been playing soundly. And then you've got a win over Cal Poly, a win over USC, a win over Florida State, a win over Virginia Tech. Like that just amount of ranked wins and is, is huge. Now, Liberty is great, but what I don't want to do is overreact to the margin of a win against the Michigan State team that we don't know how good they are. Like, we think Michigan State, when you think Michigan State, you think last year's uh, national champions, but they aren't that team. They, they, they clearly don't have that defense. They lost a 4X All-American. They lost their starting goalie. They lost their face-off guy who was dominant. They're just not that team anymore. So everything you're thinking about them, oh, well, hey, you got a 9 goal win over Michigan State, but what if Michigan State's not a ranked team? I don't want to overvalue Liberty's win against them uh, because of it. Now, do I think Michigan State's not a ranked team? No, I actually think they're pretty good. I think that was a really good win for Liberty, but I don't want to let one result and a big margin outweigh the fact that California has consistently beaten the teams that have proven to be the top of the league. Yeah, I guess I'll just kind of counter on that. I mean, I think I think you're right. I think they have a lot of really uh, impressive wins, um, and, and they have to give get credit for that. Um, I guess uh, for me, it's just uh, – I, like I'm going out on a limb a little bit on the Liberty team uh, because of the margins they're winning. And it's not just the Michigan state. Uh, I think the Yukon one is another big one. Uh, you know, Yukon uh, got beat pretty handily uh, by Liberty. I think they lost by one to George, uh, uh, sorry, um, Virginia yeah, tech. Correct, and then correct. recently George, they lost Georgia by tech one to, to Georgia tech. So yep. uh, I think the Yukon team is, is um, not a bad team, even though they're I think two and three. Um, so the fact that Liberty was able to just kind of blow them out, uh, I think says a lot. Um, and then, uh, the other thing, but, is but it's, it's five, a blowout. I mean, five is good, but it's five, a blowout. Nine is a uh, blowout. Okay. That, that's okay. That's fair. Maybe not a blowout, I, but I think you can say that's they're way. And, and I've been saying nine, the margin and, was actually 11 by the way. Oh yeah. Um, so they, they're winning handily, uh, but it wasn't just the, the end of the game, five points, uh, five goals. I think they were up, uh, I think they doubled them up at halftime. So it's, it's um, you know, it, like it, maybe not a blowout, but certainly you could say they won that game handily. Um, so, I, you know, I think if you're going off of just what we've seen so far, um, you know, maybe give the edge to, to Cal because they've had bigger games. But what I else are you going the, off of? What do you mean if you're going off of what you've seen so far? What else should you be going <laughs> off of? I, I, think, I think what you saw last year, some of the, you know, like I saw a lot of those Liberty guys last year that they, they uh, didn't graduate. Uh, they're back. Um, I think they can play. They they got a transfer who is you know has what averaging five goals a game. Who's legit? Uh, you could say the same thing about Cal. Uh, they didn't graduate very many guys, so you know they, there's that argument for them too. But I, I just think for me, like it feels like these California teams, uh, some of the Arizona teams, they get ranked early because they play games early because they're in nice weather. Teams that you know Michigan State. Uh, Liberty, some of these other places, you don't get a lot of big games early. And for some reason, now you're all of a sudden like you can't get the number one spot unless Cal loses. And I think that's kind of silly. Uh, 
Like we shouldn't just like give it to Cal because they play games early. Um, so, uh, you know, it, well, I, it's we'll, not, it's not giving it to Cal because they play games early. It's because they've won all the games they've played. I don't care uh, when you play them. If, <laughs> if Liberty played the exact same games next month and won them all by more, I'd reevaluate, reevaluate my poll. Now, so, maybe what you're saying, maybe what you're saying though, however, does, uh, lend some credence or, or carry some weight when you're talking about how MCLA poll voters vote. I can agree with that. Like maybe you're saying, okay, well, historically this is what happens that it's really hard to take it away. Even if the results change, uh, and I can get behind that, but I don't think that's a reason to vote on one. I think you should do the right thing regardless of whether they're bad voters do. <laughs> the right thing is in agree with you if Cal number one. Yes. Yes. That's all I've been asking. <laughs> so look, I mean, Cal's won what three or four games by one. Um, and, and like they're good teams. So that's nothing, there's not bad, you know, I'm not going to like punish you for only winning good games by one goal, but Liberty's is beating everyone handedly. And, uh, you know, I, I think you got to give them some credit for that. And, uh, you know, but pause that for a second, going back to the pollsters, I think, I mean, that's maybe, maybe I'm overcompensating for this a little bit, but I just think if Liberty goes and they blow out South Carolina, they blow out Virginia tech, they win the SCLC, you know, in convincing fashion. I don't think they jump Cal unless Cal loses, and that I think is is silly. Um, so maybe I'm overcorrecting there, but that's I think that's something wrong with the way there's voting and the way things are set up. Fortunately, we have a selection committee, so hopefully, you know, the selection committee um, can kind of look at the overall body of work and not just move people up and down if they lost. Um, yeah, but. Uh, but anyways, I'll get off my I, I, I think that that's fair. I think that's I think that's a fair criticism. But for me, that wouldn't change how I'd vote. For me, I would go Cal number one. I would go GT number two uh, with Liberty like as a two A. I would I, I'm fine with <clears throat> either order for those teams. But I'd I'd give uh, GT the nod for the Chapman win, and not just the Chapman win, but the Chapman win all the way across the country. So yeah. adding on the yeah. travel on top of it, so that for me would be the tiebreaker. I would go California GT Liberty. So let me ask you this: When, when, uh, like, do you see a game on this schedule on Liberty schedule where you say, like, yeah, at that point, I could give them the number one seed or number uh, one rank? On, honestly, I don't until the SELC tournament because they yeah. have Oregon, who I'm not sold on, Northeastern, who I'm not sold on, uh, South Carolina, who I think they'll probably stay about where they are because they they lost to Chapman, who was ranked higher than them anyway, and then they end up being beating uh, BYU and UCSB. So I can't imagine that they drop too much, but still, that's like a number eight ish team. Um, and then you have Virginia Tech at the end, and I think Virginia Tech is going to drop after this past weekend. Um, so maybe you get number eight and number 15. So I think they got to go through the SELC tournament. But if they win the SELC tournament, uh, then I think they could probably have a really great uh, argument to take the number one seed into the tournament. But I'm not yeah. doing that. I'm not saying that just because Cal is in place, just because of the way their schedule lays up. I don't think they played as tough teams as Cal has. And maybe Cal got the benefit of scheduling those teams earlier, but I don't think he should be punished for making a smart schedule. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, can't argue with that. That point. Okay. Well, great. So, uh, and then we'll just agree that I am right. Uh, <laughs> or if you'd like to counter, you could say what order you would have them in. I think I started. I, I, I Liberty Cal Georgia Tech is what I okay. would have. 
I think that's, I think that any order you have those three in, I think is probably, there's probably some defensible position. I think it will probably be uh, Cal Liberty or Cal GT Liberty because of how poll voters work. Like when we talked about more shifting rather than yeah. reevaluating, but I think no, there's I probably good, there's probably a good uh, argument to have Liberty higher. Okay. So here's the team. Where do you think that Concordia ends up after losing their first game? So Concordia is now, I think it is seven and one uh, and they just lost their first game to Grand Canyon. Uh, they are, um, they have wins over number 13 BYU, number 18 USC, number 23 Northeastern, and number 12 Michigan State. So where do you have the uh, Eagles landing in your poll in the general uh, area? Yeah, general area, I have them the bottom of the top 10. I still think it's hard to drop them totally out of top 10 because of all those wins you just listed. But the Michigan State game, you know, win is sort of sort – of, uh, you know, first off, feels like a long time ago, even though it was only a week and a half ago. Um, but also, it just doesn't feel like that Michigan State win is as signature win as as we thought it was. Um, and so, you know, most of their wins feel like they're in the fifteen ish range, and then they lose to a um, you know fifteen plus ish ranked team at home. So for me, I have them, you know, kind of hanging out in that nine ten ish range. Um, you know, uh, still good, but not 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 in that top five. Yeah, I think you have to take him down to about ten. I think, um, and part of this, if you think of that, okay, let's let's trace back how Concordia got to number three. Well, they beat BYU when BYU was number three, right? So they yeah. get this. Oh wow, they just beat the number three team in the country. Well, you learn a lot more about BYU. BYU is now four and four. Maybe not the same prestige of win you think that they uh, that they had at the time. Uh, then they beat Northeastern. Northeastern's probably going to drop out of the rankings after losing to Colorado State. So that's maybe not going to be a ranked win. USC, I think, is still a good win uh that was a two goal win for them usc i think is is gonna stay about there maybe maybe a few spots within that but still a decent win and then you have michigan state who at the time again you're talking about oh my gosh this is this is the returning champion number one team at the time they played them um and they just they, they're not right they they have losses now to chapman concordia arizona and liberty their only wins are over minnesota and pittsburgh i mean if you're objectively looking at the poll this this time at best you can say michigan should be 23 24 maybe uh, i just if unless you're using other factors that you shouldn't be when you're poll voting i just don't <laughs> think that resume is super strong for concordia anymore like they're going to need a signature win and i don't think they have it on their resume yet and the loss to, to grand the the loss to grand canyon hurts because of who else has uh grand canyon wins there's a lot of teams that have beat grand canyon this year yeah. so the fact that concordia wasn't able to do it is a little bit you know a little bit concerning from the standpoint uh, of looking at them when you're ranking them so i agree i think in that 9 to 10 range is about where i would put them i don't know that they'll end up there i think teams will look at it and again punish it slide him down i bet they end up six or seven yeah i think they swap with liberty is my guess um yep but yeah it, that's the easiest swap right that's the that's yeah. the one that takes the least amount of friction so that's probably what will happen even though i would probably drive him down a few more spots maybe behind a boston college or, or another team so uh, uh and i just alluded to this but where would you put michigan state yeah, I think you, you you just mentioned 23, 25. I'd probably have them a little bit higher, uh, but it's hard because they haven't, you know, they've, they've, they've certainly lost uh, quite a few games. Those teams fifteen ranked 15 and higher. So I think they've got to be in the, you know, late teens, maybe 18, 19. Uh, I'd probably put them a little bit higher than 23, 24, but um, – but I also, you know, wouldn't argue too hard if you if you, you know you gave me a, a good list and they ended up at twenty three or twenty four. Um, I think there's, you know, we kind of have this uh, 
big uh, difference in, in, you know, with the groups they're, they're playing, the sort of top 15-ish teams, and then uh, Pittsburgh and Minnesota, which I think is are quite a bit lower than, than where they're at. So they're somewhere in that, like, 15 to 25 range for me, maybe 18 to 25. Yeah. And, and Michigan state's schedule here is going to let up a little bit. They played a pretty brutal schedule on that California road trip. And then they come home and they get Liberty um, pretty, pretty rough uh, homecoming there, but they get Western Michigan, central Michigan and Indiana. They should be able to get wins in all those that would put them yeah, at five and four. A little bit. And then they have this stretch against Virginia tech, Georgia tech and South Carolina that I think is probably make or break for their at large chances. You win, you win, Two of the three of those, things are looking a lot better. You win three of the three of those, uh, you're right back in in the pole position to get a spot uh, at nationals. So that's going to be a, a huge road trip for them as they, I think, actually, I think Virginia Tech is at, at home or maybe it's a neutral field. Um, and then Georgia Tech, and South, yeah. Yeah, Georgia Tech and South Carolina are in Tennessee. So that's going to be a huge three-game swing for them coming up at the end of the month, start of April. Uh, and if they can take care of business there, they'll be fine. And if they can't, then you're really talking like – should, should Michigan State be ranked, which is wild to think about for your returning champion. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Taylor, I think we've taken more than our time. Uh, we appreciate everybody who's been listening uh, to our podcast. We had a couple suggestions come in for topics that have been awesome. We're working on a few of them. One of them was uh, was a suggestion that we go back through and rank the hardest road trips uh, based on where teams are ranked in the polls this year, where they've historically been ranked. And so we're going to take that a step further, and we're going to talk about road trip planning as an MCLA team. How should you plan a road trip depending on what your goals are? Do you want to make the tournament? Do you want to be a top seed in the tournament? Do you want to get ranked? Or do you just want to get your club off the ground? We're going to talk about how you can calculate what road trips are worth taking and when you should take them uh, using some data that we have in the past. So that's really exciting. If you guys have ideas of other things you'd like us to cover on the, the podcast, we'd love for you to hit us up. You can email me. It's jordan at virtuallyvarsity.com. So J-O-R-D-A-N at virtuallyvarsity.com. We'd love to hear all your ideas. If you'd like, you can DM us on Twitter or just send us a message. Uh, tweet at us. We'd love to hear it. Uh, any topic suggestions you have of things we'd like to cover we'd love to hear because we want to make it uh, interesting for you guys that are listening and honestly the response to this podcast has been awesome way more than i expected so we really truly truly appreciate it thank you guys for listening i don't Taylor, know you to say no. do you want to sign off just just <laughs> no, have like no. a thank you as well just do awesome. it just say thank you <laughs> awesome thanks guys we'll see you next week thank you that was wasn't yeah, that hard. Cut, out, cut, cut out all that stuff about i'm not cutting it out anything. i'm not i'm not cutting it out it's going right in the outro <laughs> All right, perfect. We done? Yeah, we're done.